So I want to continue this time in um, looking at that question of how we um, investigate beneath the surface of experience. How we really use that investigation as a path of transformation. Uh, And again, it's to um, use that image of going beneath the surface. It's one kind of image, just like the image of the cave. You know, we can see our practice as going from the surface to the depths, one metaphor, or going from the darkness to the light, very much like the image of the cave, or moving out of ignorance and illusion into clear seeing, or opening the heart. We have all these images that we describe a certain kind of journey. And um, I mentioned last time that I believe there are at least uh, three kind of um, archetypal ways of um, going more deeply. There are three archetypal ways that transformation occurs. And the one that we're particularly focusing on is taking the doorway of difficulty as a path of investigation and transformation. And I think we can come back to the other two that I mentioned was one of them. Another one, I think, is is motivated uh, more... The other two are motivated less by difficulties than by something we're really drawn to. In the one case, I think that there are ways that a sense of care and love and connection can open us up to, to things that are deeper, that we get so amazed by the opening of the heart that we, uh, we see more deeply. We realize we have certain experiences that um, um, lead us to see more deeply, and particularly seeing what makes, what makes it hard to stay in a, in a state of love and compassion. And, there's, and, and I think we're drawn, in a, in a way, by the longing to connect, to love, to uh, be, be caring. Just as in, I think, in the first kind of opening, we're drawn by this longing to go beyond suffering, you know, to transform suffering. And a third way that we open is, I think, kind of like the doorway of, of knowledge and the doorway of um, inquiry. And there we might be motivated by really wanting to know deeply. Uh, and I think each of us have somewhat different doorways into this practice. I know initially, for me, the doorway that most was compelling was one of knowing, of wanting to know more clearly, see more clearly, to understand the nature of the mind and the heart. And so that was my doorway. And once I got a little bit in, suffering announced itself. (laughs) Uh, But it wasn't, you know, whereas other people are drawn by, there's so much suffering, there has to be a way, isn't there a way beyond suffering? It can be personal or it can be, even for some people, a sense of collective suffering, much as people are sensitive to now in terms of uh, what happened in Virginia. Where, and it's interesting, I know that area pretty well. I used to, family used to be in Virginia, and I've spent a lot of time in the mountains uh, nearby there. And it's also, as, as some of you may know, there was also really horrific violence in the last, I think, 12 hours in, uh, in Iraq, with uh, over 150 people killed in, I think, just two or three incidents. You know, just really horrific. So this can really make us wonder, as I was talking with Ruth before, you know, how do we respond? Is this the, is this the human condition? You know, are we just left with this uh, suffering? So there can be a longing to want to 
go beyond suffering, which can come again on a more personal basis or on a more um, collective basis, or it can be more responding to the, the social pain or the collective pain. Um, you know, we can ask, and there was a, a poem that I, part of a poem from uh, Matthew Arnold. He, he had this sense that we sometimes have of just of life being just so much suffering. You know, and where are we? And how do, isn't it too much? It can feel sometimes, right? It can, whether it's interpersonal or personal or, or the collective. And he, he wrote, I think, in the, out of this mood, we are here as on a darkling plain, swept by confused alarms of struggle and flight, where ignorant armies clash by night. It's intense. This is the human condition. It's a very oblique view. We are here as on a darkling plain, swept by confused alarms of struggle and flight, where ignorant armies clash by night. The ignorant armies aren't just are, you know, groups of people, they're almost like our consciousness could be said to be an ig- ignorant army. You know, I've, and so uh, we can really uh, ask that question. And interestingly, there, uh, the, the, the doorway that we explored uh, in, in more depth last time, and I think we can come back to these other doorways, like taking uh, this uh, yearning for knowledge uh, as, as a doorway of transformation, and also the yearning for love, connection, care, maybe the sen- even the sense of beauty, the sense that, that can really draw us. Um, you know, and there, there are people who are just drawn so much by beauty that it becomes their doorway. I think many artists are like that. There's just something that, that takes us, and it becomes this doorway into seeing more and transforming. And so just as we explore today the doorway of difficulty, know that's not the only doorway. <coughs> And it may not be for you at this time, um, just so we know that. I'll mention again that the, in the I Ching, the Chinese symbol for crisis includes the, the figures of both danger and opportunity. That's hard to remember sometimes, isn't it, when, we're, when there's suffering or difficulty. Part of us, I think, when there's suffering or difficulty, we just want to, let's say there's an interpersonal conflict, sometimes all we want is just to be told that we're completely right and the other person's completely wrong and that we don't have to investigate, and that's that, and, um, and it'll go away. I'm simplifying some, but is that, is that at all familiar? <laughs> um, and so the, the invitation here is actually to investigate. And it's not our usual stance, I think. Usually when we have difficulty or conflict, how often do we say, oh, another opportunity for learning? But that's really what's being invited, actually. And to do that, though, to have our difficulties be opportunities for learning, we need to have both a certain amount of wisdom about, about um, difficulties and I think we also have to have a kind of a, almost like a, a framework in which to um, go forth or go into the difficulties and have some balance and stability. And so that's what I want to explore more um, today is how to do that. And, and my intention will be to maybe talk for another 20 or 25 minutes and then have 
um, longer time than usual to share. Because how, how many people actually did investigate your own difficulties in the last week with the point of view of really inquiring and going beneath the surface? That's, so yeah, so there's, there's material that we can, can share with each other. So it's helpful to know that our usual, one of the, one of the mm, dynamics which keeps us on the surface is the way that we are um, mm, sort of ruled by not wanting to go into what's difficult and wanting just to have what's pleasant. That, that um, very conditioned psychology, that's a part of all of us to some extent. You know, that's um, really at the center of the Buddha's teachings. The Buddha says that, there, that when we have ignorance and we have something pleasant occur, we are just tend to grab a hold of the pleasant. And when something unpleasant occurs, we tend to push it away compulsively. And the Buddha said this is actually the dynamic that locks us into um, a deeper suffering. You know, that it's not knowing that tendency in ourselves, not knowing that tendency to unconsciously grab hold of the pleasant and unconsciously push away the unpleasant that is actually the source of problems. And I think we can, uh, can see as, we'll, as we investigate more that it's really actually investigating both the pleasant and the unpleasant and being willing to stay with it that is actually what opens up this doorway into a deeper inquiry. And so when we sit in meditation and we stay with the unpleasant and just don't, and, and are aware of our tendencies. If, if my knee's hurting, saying, how much longer in this meditation? I hope it happens soon. That we actually, we, we actually notice that kind of thinking and we, we spend time with the unpleasant and just learn better how to be with it without reactivity as long as, it's, as long as we know that it's not damaging ourselves in the case of meditation. Or we learn to stay with an unpleasant emotion. We learn to stay with sadness or anger and investigate rather than simply pushing it away. And so a large part of our initial training in meditation is learning how to do that. I think that as we learn on the level of doing this with our own experience, we become, and especially with things maybe that aren't so intense or powerful, you know, like to sit with a knee pain or to sit with a difficult emotion, as we do that more, we are more able to transfer that to the bigger parts of our lives, to the, to the larger or more difficult situations, and I think gradually into, um, <clears throat> into the interpersonal realm and even beyond that into the social realm. So I think what the world needs deeply is people who are familiar with going beneath the surface and being, who can investigate difficulty and not follow the uh, conditioned reaction. You know, again, there's that teaching, which is almost my um, the the central way in which I understand this the core teachings of the Buddha, the Four Noble Truths. You know, the truth that there is suffering, that there's a cause of suffering, and, and this compulsive grabbing hold and pushing away, and that it's possible to transform that, to come to freedom, and that there's a practical way to do that. The the Eightfold Path and the traditional teachings. And the image which uh, captures that is this image of the two arrows, which I, which I use a lot, that the Buddha was, uh, was asked, um, people who have no sense of practice have pleasure and pain. 
as do people who have a sense of practice. What's the difference between the two? That was the question asked of the Buddha. And he said that people who have no sense of practice, it doesn't have to mean Buddhist practice, but no sense of wisdom, deeper wisdom, when, and he gave the example, when an unpleasant stimulus comes, and he used the example of being shot by an arrow, when that happens, the person basically reacts to it and, as it were, shoots the second arrow either at oneself or other. In other words, someone says something uh, mean to me, and if, I, and if I'm reactive, I will shoot a second arrow right back and be nasty to that person. And we have the cycles going, the cycles of conflict, which, again, are not so hard to look at the world and see how much everyone's shooting second arrows at each other. You know, and uh, when, when our own relationships get hard, we're typically shooting second arrows at each other. And so he said that the well-instructed practitioner has learned not to shoot the second arrow. It's not that the person doesn't experience pain, but that there's there's a learning of how to take that pain and not react further. Again, we can see that in many, many very everyday ways. You know, uh, again, I I use the example a lot that doctors say that 80% of pain is not the original stimulus, but it's the reaction of the body to that stimulus. We could say it's that contraction and reaction to the stimulus. And so that's why uh, some of the meditation-based responses to healthcare have been so successful. Some of you know the uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction. How many people are familiar with that? that? That is really using this core psychology as a way to respond to people with illness, that if they can actually learn to be better with the stimulus and relax. And in some cases, that's obviously not so easy. But people can learn to do that, and it actually reduces a large percentage of the pain. Or we can think of ourselves when, let's say, something difficult has happened, let's say a difficult um, moment in a relationship uh, where, let's say, I feel unjustly treated or unfairly treated. And sometimes uh, there's a whole question of the response, but at least in terms of my inner experience, if I can, or let's say I was uh, treated by a friend or partner in a way that I didn't like, and I can either be with that sense of um, pain or or sadness or, or anger, and I can actually be present with it and work with it, and then hopefully have a good way to, to, to uh, communicate and work out the, the difficulty. Or sometimes, you know, I can have that experience and I can go off and brood for three weeks. And, just real, and that would be the second arrow. It's shooting the second arrow because the whole idea is that sometimes we can actually be with the underlying difficulty. Um, we stop shooting the second arrow and we're more readily able to respond on the basis of really knowing what's there. You know, and again, we can see very easily how in terms of interpersonal conflicts or social conflicts, the, that second arrow keeps on getting shot. You know, what is the Middle East if not you know, years and years and years of second arrows? Again, it doesn't mean that there's not other things to look at, but somehow the, um, what's, what's challenging and what I think is very difficult for uh, our society, and something I think that we're, uh, that we're countering here, it's very difficult to be with the unpleasant. And people tend to 
not uh, actually touch the unpleasant, but just tend to go into the reactions, which often don't even involve feeling the unpleasant very much. They're just, they're just almost like defenses, so I don't actually have to feel that. And part of what, uh, part of what we can do with our practice is to actually see how that process works in ourselves. You know, and I, I mentioned the um, practice last time that's a very helpful practice when there are repetitive thoughts happening or when we're, when we're actually, let's say, we feel ourselves shooting the second arrow in some way. And especially through repetitive thoughts, one, one, it's often for some of us, it's actually hard to actually know what we're feeling in that moment, that our stories take over and we stay on the storyline. And in, uh, in, in a meditative approach to healing that, or I think it's, it's similar to a lot of psychological work, we learn actually how to touch the underlying pain and be with it. And we learn that if we can do that in a, um, in a way that that's, um, mm, has a kind of understanding and based what, what in psychological language we would call a container, a kind of a, a way to be with that in a way that feels relatively, relatively safe and that ha- maybe is uh, guided by care, we can actually be with that pain and, and to some extent heal it. That being, or at least know how to respond to, to the pain. And so this practice that we've, that we've worked with is one tool that can be helpful in a meditative way is, is whenever we notice ourselves, our minds just going over and over through something, we can actually sometimes, if we have a certain degree of uh, silence of mind, we can ask ourselves, let me just feel what's actually there. And sometimes if we can bring our attention to our bodies and our, our hearts, we can actually listen. Uh, again, this is, uh, some people call this the drop-down practice. <laughs> or the, uh, Philip Moffat calls it the dropped attention practice. It's a way of trying to see what's beneath the surface. And we, again, we can, I think we can only do that when we're somewhat quiet. So it's not a beginning practice. And I, I've, you know, in working over the last years on the theme of judgments, which we explored a few weeks ago, how do we work with judgments? What we have found is that... Um, there is a kind of sequence of practice. First, we have to be mindful of just what's happening and just notice. And it might be, oh, I'm noticing I'm, you know, I'm angry or this story is going on. Or I'm, and then to actually just try to notice in the moment what's happening with that experience. You know, if I'm judgmental, let me just notice what it's like. You know, what does it feel like in the body and the mind? What's happening? Let me just come to some mindfulness. And then I can secondly begin to look at some over time, look at some of my patterns. How do I typically do this? And begin to, this is where we become a connoisseur of our own patterns. And we study them. And this is hard work, right? To do that. And then sometimes if we do that, a third, a third step is to actually feel what's underneath all the stories, under all the ideas. And it's always, it's, it can be helpful at times particularly when there's continual repetitive thought or we're just saying, you know, we're just going over some interaction with another person to actually see if we can drop down and be present and see what's there. Not so much trying to figure it out, but just a kind of listening for what's there. 
often we find that there is some kind of pain, which was, you know, it could be um, in the case of um, a difficult interaction, it could be a pain of, I'm sad that this is happening. It could be anger. I don't like being treated like that. The thoughts could be related to it. But often we stay in the, in the loop of the thoughts and don't really get actually to the feeling. And some of us do this more than others. Some of us can go right to the feeling immediately. <laughs> you know, some of us can do that quickly. And so there's, there's this to me is a kind of um, mm, paradigm which we can do individually, which uh, can also be brought out into interpersonal relationships and the, um, and the larger society. Because in many ways, as we were, as we were talking about last time, in many ways, um, we don't know how to deal with what's unpleasant and painful in the society very well. You know, that we, we segregate what's unpleasant in, in ghettos or in poor areas of town or in hospitals and so forth. And we try not to really look uh, very closely at what's difficult. You know, we, we've talked last time, I mean, our news media in many ways um, don't really take us into certain kinds of pain and suffering. The news gets certain, you know, we, we're told all about murders, but we're actually not really brought into, the, into the, um, the feelings of people or what's happening. And um, some of the um, powerful work that, for example, Joanna Macy does is to find ways to actually bring out the pain of situations, of more social situations, and find tools to do that. In meditation, if we stay with a phenomenon, we can be with what's difficult and learn how to be with that. In some forms of psychotherapy, we can do the same. We can learn to tune in to what's beneath the surface. And Joanna's done this amazing work, and I think I'll just describe a situation that can help um, uh, make this clear. And this was something that I was involved with. And I'll describe the situation using somewhat camouflaged... I'll camouflage the story okay, to protect the innocent and the guilty. And, and so, this, so this was a situation where there was a, uh, a social change nonprofit that was in considerable internal turmoil. There were a lot of conflicts between certain staff people. The um, um, certain staff members had been fired. There was a sense of lack of safety. And this was all the more um, troubling because this was supposed to be a paradigm of how to work through um, conflict in a peaceful and wise way. <laughs> you know, so as many of us know, that's you know, when our home organizations or our families, which are supposed to be paradigms of wisdom and compassion, when they start having problems, it can be very, very troubling. So this organization was in that sort of state. And what was difficult was there wasn't any real way that people could uh, make public and talk about their pain. It was as if, as it were, the, the arrows were being shot. And there wasn't a process, as we generally, I think, don't have very well for organizations or for families, or sometimes not even for relationships, of ways to work with, with conflict or, or painful situations. So, so on a particular day, uh, I was present uh, with Joanna at this. The, um, the, main, the, the present and former staff, including people who were fired, a number of the people on the board of directors all got together at someone's house. It was, there were about maybe 30 people present. And we, uh, we went through about a three or four hour process 
and uh, which uh, actually transformed the situation. And the situation was one of stuckness. People weren't talking to each other. Communication was broken down. A lot of people were in a lot of pain. And, um, and, and everyone had good intentions also. It was a hard situation. And so, but they didn't, they didn't know how to do it. The leadership wasn't able to work with the situation, didn't have the tools or skills or wisdom or whatever. <coughs> and so we got together in this room and Joanna led us, Joanna Macy led us. Um, she first had us touch the positive. She had us, uh, she asked for pretty much everyone to say something about what they appreciated about the organization. It was really to touch the positive, which is actually something that, that um, I've learned in, in the work with judgments, which is a lot about going into painful situations, that for anyone who's working with difficulties, it's really helpful to have a, con- a continual practice of touching the positive, the beautiful, the good, the love, the joy, and have that be like a counterbalance. For anyone looking very deeply at anything difficult, I think it's actually important to have an ongoing way in which we touch the positive. It help, it, without that, we, we sometimes get out of balance. And we can be sometimes a little bit overwhelmed by the, the negative. So for anyone serious about looking into difficulties, also have a loving-kindness practice or a joy practice or a practice of hanging out with beauty on a regular basis or br- really feeling that quality of depth and warmth in oneself and others. And, and so we did that initially with Joanna. We went into a sense of gratitude and caring, and people touched that. And it was actually really, really crucial for being able to go into what was painful. Having done that for a while, for half an hour, there was, it really, and you could feel that something was shifted in the room when that happened. Then we, we did an exercise, a, pra- a practice, which Joanna's developed. It's called the Truth Mandala. And it's a powerful practice. I don't know if she'll do it on Sunday. But it's a powerful practice where we have an outer circle and then there's an inner circle that has uh, four stations. There's a cushion in the middle and then there are three other stations. One of them is symbolized by a stick which um, signifies anger. Another um, place has some dry leaves which symbolizes... um, sadness or grief. Another, uh, par- another part of the, cir- of the inner circle has an empty bowl which symbolizes um, um, confusion. There might be despair. And then there's the cushion in the middle for anything else. <laughs> and people are invited, in this case, people were invited one at a time to go into the circle when they were ready and to go to one of those stations and just talk. It was a public space. And to just talk. So people went in, and they, would, they could go to all three of them, or, or all four of them. And they went in, and they talked. I'm so sad about what's happened. You know, I love this organization, and I'm just so sad about it. And they could express that <coughs> openly and really feel it. And people you know, were quite emotional, as you could imagine. Or people could say, you know, someone who was fired could go in and be on the, the seat of anger and say, and they'd be holding the stick, you know. People, few people would be watching to see how they didn't get, <laughs> didn't get too close. Uh, and so they'd be holding the stick and they'd say, I'm so angry that so-and-so got fired. It's just not fair, you know? And they'd have a chance to go into that. And after each person um, 
had the turn in the middle, which could take a few minutes, could take five minutes, the whole group said, we hear you. There was no discussion, no judgment. There was just a sense that this is what this person experienced. Other people would go into um, confusion or despair. You know, this is such an important organization, and if we can't get it together, how's the world going to get it together? And I'm just so, I'm just, I feel lost. And they would say that. And that went on for about an hour, hour and a half. And in using this practice, which I've also used in groups maybe 10 or 15 times myself in different settings, um, there was, you know, something had shifted. And, um, you know, following that, there was kind of a pause and people then um, talked some individually with each other. And then a little while later, in, in small groups, and then a little while later, we came back to have some of the, some brainstorming about what the next steps were. My experience was, and having seen this in other settings, that it was the ability to actually air and touch the pain that totally shifted things because basically the ice was broken. And the organization, um, some people decided to leave the organization, but something was shifted and there was a kind of almost a group of elders uh, that included myself that was helping to hold the um, situation, give some guidance. And it was as if the inability to touch the pain kept everything frozen. Just like the way that you can imagine at work, you know, when some interpersonal conflict hasn't been dealt with, it's like there's an elephant in the middle of the room, right? And everyone knows about it, but no one's doing anything about it. And so what we somehow need are these ways to take, um, to take our difficulties as something we can inquire into and work skillfully with. And, and I think we could, so the organization actually, it was a profound shift. And it basically, it took the um, organization out of being frozen and out of being stuck. And it, there were still things to work with and difficulties, but it, it moved it into the sphere of workability. And the organization basically came back and bounced back and got healthy again. But that was a key moment. And the inab- it was the inability to touch the pain that kept it stuck. And I think that's very much true um, in our society. It's true, um, I think it's true personally. You know, I think of, for example, um, just so much, and the the practice that we have is to be able to go deeper and to know that sometimes the words on the surface and the language is is actually covering things over and is on the surface. Um, James Baldwin said something very, very similar to that. He said that... um, he, he was trying to understand all the language of people um, speaking hatefully and, and all the, the hateful language and all the contested language. And he said, he said this, I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hates so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with pain. One of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with pain. And so, uh, it's workable somehow, but we have to have the tools to be present with what's difficult. And I think we have many of those in a meditative sense, and I think people like Joanna Macy and others, uh, some of you know nonviolent communication, other tools, 
that can do that interpersonally and socially. I think, you know, I think many of the tools of nonviolence that were developed by Gandhi and King are ways whereby someone like Thich Nhat Hanh or by basically peacemakers. What, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh says what the role of peacemakers is to bring the suffering of one side to the other side. It's again, it's that, that without the understanding of the pain and the suffering and the reality of the other person as a human being, things get stuck. You know, that, uh, again, I go back to hearing about so many situations where there were conflicting parties. It was only when they were coming together and could see each other as human beings. You know, I remember that, I think in 1993, the Oslo peace process between Palestinians and Israelis, uh, you know, which is an imperfect process, but there were breakthroughs when they all got together and played with, um, they were in Norway, and they played with the Norwegian host child and actually started talking about their own children and their own families. That was when the breakthroughs happened, because they could actually listen to each other's pain rather than stay stuck on the level of ideology and so forth. And so there's something very, um, very important that I think we are studying in ourselves. And as we, as we get more mature and stronger, maybe we can have that. And as we get more comfortable with inquiring, taking, oh, let me take my difficulty as something to learn from. Let me inquire. Let me see the pattern. Let me touch the pain. And when we touch the pain, my experience is something gets healed. That it's actually not so much the pain that's the problem, but it's the avoidance of pain. It's the, and it, it, again, it comes out of a, can come out of a sense of protection. And the other piece I'll mention is that I've seen in my own, my own work, personal work and in groups, when we actually touch the pain, Pain is not the final story, as in the, the story of the group. When we actually touch the pain, there's something beneath it as well, which is more typically, sometimes there can be, the pain could be sadness, could be anger. But actually, when we keep going deeper, we, we touch something that could be called love. We also touch a longing to heal, that when we stay with it, and again, we can know this personally, and we can know this in groups. In that group, when we were able to touch the pain, we also touched uh, love for each other. Joanna talks about this as saying, let me see, I think I have a quotation from her. We, we open to, to more of a sense of interconnection and wanting to, wanting to connect in love. This is what she says. Basic to most spiritual traditions is the recognition that we are not separate isolated entities but integral and organic parts of the vast web of life. We can open to the pain of the world in confidence that it can neither shatter nor isolate us, for we are not objects that can break. We are resilient patterns within a vaster web of knowing. And so this is, I think, what certainly what I find, that when we go into difficulty, we actually find longing for connection, and we also find love, and that these are actually deeper. And it's that, I think, getting more connected to the longing and the love that gives us the energy. And that's why I think it's very important to have these, um, as it were, complementary practices of really connecting with loving kindness, with joy, with beauty, because they help keep us connected to that. So I'll just finish uh, with a poem from Rumi, which expresses the paradox of how the willingness to go into what's difficult actually transforms us 
And if we are attached to not going into difficulty, we actually suffer more. The paradox. This is a poem called The Question. It's, it's expressed in, you know, in traditional Islamic language, Sufi language. God's presence is there in front of me, a fire on the left, a lovely stream on the right. One group walks towards the fire, into the fire, another towards the sweet flowing water. He's going to basically say that the fire is the willingness to go into what's difficult. And when you go, when you are willing to go there, something happens that's beautiful. But if you get attached to the lovely stream, look out. So here's what he <laughs> God's presence is there in front of me, a fire on the left, a lovely stream on the right. One group walks towards the fire, into the fire, another towards the sweet flowing water. No one knows which are blessed and which not. Whoever walks into the fire appears suddenly in the lovely stream. A head goes under on the water surface. That head pokes out in fire. Most people guard against going into the fire and so end up in it. Those who love the water of pleasure and make it their devotion are cheated with this reversal. The trickery goes further. The voice of the fire tells the truth, saying, I am not fire. I am fountainhead. Come into me and don't mind the sparks. If you are a friend of God, fire is your water. Somehow each gives the appearance of the other. To these eyes you have now, what looks like water burns. What looks like fire is a great relief to be inside. Thank you. That Rumi, he kind of, very direct. (laughs) Any questions or reflections? And it'd be great just to hear people's explorations. If you don't feel hugely profound, just... Talk about what you experienced in the last week. That'd be, that'd be, I think it'd be really uh, wonderful to hear, you know, how, how we're working with this. Please. When you talk about, um, about being confused and about reality, yeah. is that um, observing the suffering? Is the reality come out of, come out of the... Um, to be in reality, we have to focus... On the suffering first? Let's see. For um, the, que- the question is, um, and correct me if I don't quite get it, is do we, ha- um, do we have to, um, as part of being clear about reality, um, coming in contact with suffering? Is that? We have to focus, analyze the suffering first. We have to look at the suffering. To, to, to be on the other side. To be, to be out of the cave? <laughs> yeah. Um, it seems to be a part of it. I think each of us takes a little different sequence. And some, like I say, for me in my practice at first, it was primarily about knowledge, insight, wisdom, clarity. And then the suffering came in a big UPS package. Um, so it was a little, but some people start the meditation, like I say, because there's, the suffering is a lot and they want to have some clarity. Most of us, I think, have to touch 
suffering at some point. That, yeah, to uh, one of the main reasons that we don't see clearly is because we are scared of some parts of reality. We don't want to look at them because they're painful. Very understandable, right? You know, like, um, so in that group, for example, people might have been walking around thinking, that person, you know, blah, 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 and, and fixated on their story about how they were treated, which would have a kernel of truth, but there was, it was difficult for them actually to feel what they were, feel their own sadness or pain. And it was only creating of a kind of a, uh, a ritual practice that helped people actually know what was deeper beneath the surface. So, yeah, I think that's the idea is that we often don't know what's there and we stay on the surface spinning around with stories that maybe capture a little bit of the truth but don't take us into what's, what's difficult. So it becomes an important part of our practice to have this capacity. I wish it were different. I wish we could just talk about love and kindness and care. And, but it, uh, um, the Buddha didn't mince words. He said the first noble truth is that there is suffering. And it's part of reality, and it's the avoidance of it which actually leads to suffering. It's, would that it were otherwise. But it's, you know, it's like the Buddha says that, uh, I don't know, maybe it's not him, but, but other people say, well, the human realm has the, 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 um, the perfect mix of pleasure and pain. That if there wasn't this mix, we would, we would get, if we were just in a totally pleasant <coughs> environment, we would get, we wouldn't have the energy to want to awaken and see more, see more clearly. You know, and it's said that the so-called heaven realms are like that. People just get, oh, just pleasant experiences all the time. And there's no hunger for, for awakening. And then if, we're, if we have too much uh, suffering, then we get overwhelmed. And it's said that the other realms are like that where there's too much, and we don't have the balance. So the human realm is said to have a, a certain balance where we can actually inquire. And what that translates into, for some of us, there can be a lot of suffering. And for that, you know, sometimes in the moment, it's really appropriate not to go into the pain or suffering, but to go into, to, to get, get, get balanced. Because I think, I didn't say this quite exactly, but in my experience, it takes a certain amount of balance and understanding to go into what's difficult. And if we don't have that balance, it's important to try to get that balance before we go there too much. That's an important, so, so that, I, that I said that, because that's a big piece of that. Please, yeah. Donna, yeah. Yeah. Did everyone hear? Okay, that, that's powerful, isn't it? So it's both, so, so this, what's being suggested is both a, as a way, a way to make difficult situations workable, but it's also, I think the, the focus was that it also actually is a doorway into transformation. 
that's what's actually, in a way, more interesting. That it actually is a doorway where we actually come to see more and understand more. And so for this person, the challenges of cancer brought her to a deep place of how she understands life and death. You know, which again is often talked about, that people, you know, people sometimes say when they have a serious illness and they face it in a certain way, I've never lived more fully. Because they, it becomes a, a doorway of um, inquiry. You know, and, and for some people, maybe the balance isn't there and it's, it, they can go, a difficulty can take people further into being stuck. So what we're interested in is, is really supporting each other so we have the resources, the tools, the understanding to each do this and to you know, tell our stories to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Which, um, what happens is that when I have a pain of any sort in my body, yeah. as well as life, um, I, I go into a place where I become a, mag- a magnifier. It's like watching a Google Earth when you go yeah. in further and further and further. Yeah. And the more I stay with it, rather than trying to accommodate my body to a pain, yeah. I'll keep going in, 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 and just stay watching it and... It's miraculous what happens when you just—it keeps changing, moving till the point is it's gone. Sometimes it yeah. disappears, and if it gets too hard, you have to kind of come back a little bit. You yeah. can play with going in and out, and yeah, in yeah. and out, and I think that's a a good metaphor for using it with our uh, our relationships as well. Yeah. So it's a sounds powerful, but it's challenging, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, challenging, and and you know, I, I, each of us sort of um, work with this as best we can. You know, so some people can can really be inspired by that, and some people say, "Oh my God, <laughs> that's a lot." So, but it's but I think the the horizon being suggested is that uh, there's this just this big part of our practice. This one doorway is to be with what's challenging. Yeah. Um, I, I've been going through a lot of heart pain. I yeah. know I'm in my heart the last few months. I, yeah. know, so I, I shared it before about um, an ending relationship. Yeah. And I've been going through, and I'm staying with the pain. Yeah. I'm staying with it. I'm, go, I'm, not, I'm not shoving it in the background. I'm, I'm staying with it. I'm moving on. And I'm, I've been going through the energy to do what yeah. I need to do with my life. Yeah. And I'm also even going further and, and trying to go into it um, further than that. But I'm finding that now it's been almost three months, going on four months now, and I'm still feeling the pain. Yeah. And it almost feels like it's suffering. Yeah. I mean, there's an underlining suffering of the pain. Yeah. And it's, um, I have good days and bad days, but it seems, and then I find with the loneliness, and then the sadness comes in. Yeah. And it's all mixed, mixed up. Yeah. And I've never had... This deep because I was in love. Yeah. This deep before, and so I'm grateful that I had the experience. So I'm grateful, and I think all the positive things, like you said, of the relationship. I think all the positive stuff. But where where's the line of the suffering? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm feeling there's a there's like a little teeter totter of suffering, and going through the pain and moving forward, and, and my body gets exhausted. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to keep moving through it, you know, yeah. not stop, move through the pain, but keep feeling it, but move. Forward, and mm-hmm. I'm 
I'm not stuck, mm -hmm. but I'm, but I, but I can stuck. I'm not stuck, but I'm. Mm -hmm. Is that a, is that a hard thing to explain? It's like, I feel well, like I, I'm I understand. Moving. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I get what you're saying. I'm moving. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And are you working with someone who's helping to guide the process? No, because I'm using the tools that I have. Okay. I'm using. I know the tools. I know mm -hmm. what I need to do. I know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know what's what. I'm, a, I'm aware of what's going on. Yeah. So. Did everyone hear the, the everyone in the back hear the, the question? So it's, it's a challenging one of when I'm, if I'm being present to pain, uh, does that sometimes, uh, when, is there a time when it's not fruitful, when I'm just, as it were, increasing my suffering? And um, what I heard also is, when does it end? <laughs> uh, and again, it's a complex question because I don't know all the specifics. Um, it sounds like, I, I think it could be helpful to really, um, to work with someone who's skilled in that kind of transformative work of being with it. Uh, because there, there, I think there are questions that come up at certain points of, um, mm, I, think, I think there can be ways, especially if we're with something for a long time, uh, when, just hanging out with the pain is um, has to be balanced by some other activities. So, it, well, you know, by by the by the increasing of what we might call resources, and it also depends on um, how it's held. So, I think I would really recommend that you work with someone who's skilled in that, because there are certain kinds of um, situations where it actually is not helpful to stay with the pain. You know, particularly if we're if there's a territory that's traumatic. Even if, it's, yeah. even if I'm moving, even if my body's moving and I'm doing what I need to do and going through it, even if I keep going through it? Well, the key, the key, would, be, the key would be whether there's balance. And, when, and if, you're, if you're getting depleted uh, in the long run, um, that could be a sign to, to, to work in a little different <coughs> way. You know, it sounds like there, there, there may be a lot of things that you're doing skillfully, but there could be some adjustments to make. That would be um, that I would have to do with really uh, staying balanced, um, having um, building resources, and making sure that you're sort of not uh, sort of re-triggering old unconscious pains. You know, like you know, I know I am. yeah, that because that has to, have to be careful with that. So so when we're with something that's you know in the long run we have there, there are subtleties that come in here. I know, I yeah, I get it. yeah. So there's a lot here actually. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Does that make some sense? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Every time I talk, there's a lot here, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it, there is a lot. <laughs> so, please. I just want to share with you all what I, I faced this morning. Okay. <laughs> um, I bought two days ago tickets to go to Morocco to Spain. Can you talk yeah. about it? I got tickets to go to Spain two days ago in Morocco. And I opened, I looked at the computer this morning and I saw that two days ago there was a bomb there and the uh, American embassy is moving the embassy from, they're just closing for a while and things like that. And this is the third time I'm buying tickets to Morocco and has to cancel it because of, one time was because of the intifada that started mm. and things like that. Anyway, it's, it's three times mm. and it's non-refundable tickets. <laughs> <laughs> so... I just went into a place of a big door opening and, mm -hmm. and question of security and fears and how to deal mm -hmm. with that. Um, and I'm 
did. I went yesterday to a lecture which talked about, um, you know, how unsafe we are here. You mm -hmm. know, I heard that. So how, how to deal with this kind of huge fear that came to me to cancel again or to go. I went to some places before that were not recommended to go and found it really amazing experience. Mm. People very welcoming and mm. really amazing. Mm. And all of the being, and, and it's just something was in my face that way. And mm -hmm. I'm still wo working on it. I thought about mm -hmm. it a lot this morning. Well, what am I going to do with all of this? Yeah, yeah. Mainly, um, I, couldn't, I, I went to places of, of it's all okay. Yeah. So I went there too. So I went to a lot, there's a lot of voices that's coming right now and I'm trying to yeah. get through them through what you said. So yeah. <coughs> well, so did everyone hear? Yeah. Um, if I could rephrase it, what I, what I heard was um, really in a real-life example of um, having bought a non-refundable ticket to Morocco <laughs> and, and then three times. And then what I heard was really that you were really investigating what was there and being in touch with fear and basically trying to be as wise as you can with the whole process. But what would connect with what we were exploring was that you allowed yourself to be in touch with the fear and, and, and touched it. And then again, it's um, just to know that it's there and to, um, to really see what that's about. It's really the, there's not like, um, there's not like any magic that we suddenly touch what's painful and we, we know exactly what to do with non-refundable tickets. Um, but it's, it's more that we, um, we have the capacity to open to what's difficult and use that as part of our intelligence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that it's, uh, it's this huge uh, part of our, um, of our social intelligence, of our personal intelligence to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and that you were, you were using it. It doesn't, not clear necessarily what you'll do, but you were, you were um, able to do that. You know, just as if I have a difficult interpersonal interaction, I can actually go in, okay, what's really there for me? And to know that more clearly, rather than staying on the line of figuring it out or story. So it's more like a, a way of investigating. Yeah. Time maybe for one more, one more question. Yeah. Well, not so much a question, or, but could I just talk about Oh, talk about your experience, yeah. Something? Please, yeah. <coughs> I have a lot of experience in a lot of practice in, 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 in working with anger and, and, uh, and in trying to avoid taking anger into action. Yeah. And this comes out of, I guess I won't go into all the history of it, but anyway, <coughs> the thing that I've, I've learned to do and through a class, another thing that I've been in for many yeah. years. The practice of trying to catch yourself before you go jump from anger into the next thing, mm -hmm. and to attempt to see what is it? How did I get this? Because I want to be yeah. angry about it. Yeah. And, and I think what you said uh, resonated with me. That anger, yeah. is like, uh, anger is a way of uh, avoiding feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the trick here is to is really to recognize that. Yeah. To try to uh, to ask myself, what, what is it? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's actually not easy. Yeah, not easy, 
<laughs> yeah. It's a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> I frequently drive from San Francisco back across the Golden Gate Bridge, and I come in through the Presidio, and there's a point where you join the, uh, the highway that goes across the bridge, uh, just before the toll gate, going back mm -hmm. in this direction. And uh, I've always found, and many people that I see there find, that you have to pause and wait for for cars to cease coming in this particular lane. You know? But there are others, including my wife, who believe that actually you can just jump right into it because there's, anyway, I hope I'm not telling you more than you need to know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I pulled up into this area a, a mm -hmm. few days back and there was a tr an intense amount of traffic in the lane I want to join, so I, there's no way I was going to join it. But there was a guy right behind me and the cars were piling up. Right behind me, like a normal SUV thing, <laughs> tiny little Honda Accord, <laughs> and he's beating on the horn, and he wants me to do presumably what my wife had in mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the guy leans on the horn, and I go, like this, and this is totally contrary yeah. to my whole thing. Uh, I guess what I'm trying—I don't know why I'm putting this up exactly there. I shot through the anger into the. Uh, Response. Yeah. Because things could be avoided. I mean, in other words, and when I thought about it, and it really troubled me that I'd done this. Yeah. The, the whole work that I do is to try not to yeah. do these things. Yeah. And it's, it's a combination of, well, fear was in there. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out, I mean, I try, sort of limited fear, sadness, and pain as the possible sources, but maybe there could be another. Yeah. But certainly fear was. Yeah, 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 and it's happening so quickly. That's 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 why we really do the. In our practice, we, as it were, study this process in, as it's slowed down, and we have some room. We can say, "Oh, you know, okay, you know, we don't have the same situation where you're on the Golden Gate Bridge and you have an SUV in back of you honking, and you know you're." He's basically, I assume it's a he, but it was. That <laughs> uh, he may basically be giving tremendous pressure for you to have this instantaneous decision the way he wants it. Okay, and, and it's a pressured situation and there's a reaction. And so that's, um, that's, as it were, a hard place to really suddenly remember. Oh, yes, I remember those two um, Wednesday mornings when we were... <laughs> Looking at how to be with the situation and to really tune into my inner experience and let my wisdom, my, my wise. Well, that's hard, but we do, we we really practice in the simplified situations. And maybe it's it's an actually nice way to close because we, we're we're at time, but it's that we practice in the simplified situations. That's why that's meditation is an artificial simplified situation. It's like a laboratory where we can study certain things in relative safety without being, hopefully, rushed too much. And we get to study things and look at things. And as we um, work with it more, we say, oh, okay, I feel I'm having this story being told about what happened yesterday with this SUV, and let me just feel what's there. Oh, 
oh yeah, boy, I have some anger about that, you know, and then, and then you go into it and you sit with it and you see it. And, and you probably also have a sense of, okay, well, how might I respond if that's there? You know, we can, or we can sometimes do that after meditation, but sometimes we actually say, you know, we ask that question, how might I respond? And as we use this laboratory more, and we do it in community and talking with friends, we get a sense of, of um, maybe a way to work with this that, uh, that we strengthen over time. We strengthen it, and we practice, and we have this like-minded people, and maybe we have, you know, maybe we have um, small groups where we talk about it, we talk about it here, but over time, we somehow get more skilled at, at uh, first of all, just going and seeing what's there, and then, you know, also over time, learning how to respond with more wisdom and compassion. And so it's, I think it's this, this is like we create this safe space here in which we practice. And then I think as we get stronger over time, we actually have the capacity to have an impact in the world. And again, I think the, t- the events of our time really suggest that there's a huge need for people who are skilled in what we're talking about. That, we, that as we work with this ourselves and get better, and it's not easy at all, and there are moments when we lose it with SUVs or partners or, um, you know, the weather or whatever, or the lack of a heating system being on or whatever, and we lose it, and that's okay. We lose it, but the mercy of this practice is we just keep coming back and we start again, and we do so with friends, and we get stronger at these, and then as we do it more and more, I think we can have a huge impact on uh, our communities and on, uh, in time in the larger world. And it, it's almost exactly what's needed, isn't it? I mean, aren't the news, isn't the news just kind of telling us that? This is what we need. We need to have people who are, can, can work with this and not just go to a standard reaction. You know, so um, I'll leave us with that and let's just take maybe about 30 seconds or a minute to um, reflect and then we'll finish. But just to let be present whatever was helpful or inspiring or energizing or anything else from the morning and any intentions which come from this time. We close, as we usually do, by knowing that we practice not just for ourselves, but for others. And may we take this practice, and I think in two weeks when I come back, we'll look more at the, uh, the beautiful side, the beautiful doors, opening into inquiry and beauty to balance this. But we, as, we, as we know that we do this practice for others, and may the fruits of our time together Uh, be offered to benefit all beings. May that be our understanding and our offering. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.